Okay, we'll get started. If you need an extra handout, or if you didn't get one, there's a few left. I think everyone seems like they're covered, but let me know. Didn't have a, a handout for you last week. There was nothing much to do in advance, but you'll see today, lesson eight, it'll make sense when we get there. As always, there's a lot to cover, so we're just going to jump right in, usually more than we really have time for. We've covered a lot of ground in this study for those that have been with us, and even for those that might be new here, doing a study on Wednesday nights on the doctrines of grace, and that this divide in contemporary terms between a group called Calvinists and a group called Arminians, and and we found it to be actually an ancient divide on different ways of understanding God's role and man's role in salvation. They work together. Is it God alone? God primarily? What's the split? Is there just understanding God's role and man's role in our salvation and bringing about our salvation? That's what we're after in this study. It's what these two sides see things a bit differently. We've covered a lot of ground, a lot of introductory ground, significant ground concerning the the human nature and how sin has affected the human condition, setting the fall and concepts like total depravity, total inability. And uh, starting last week, we we finally got uh, into a a big topic that most people just want to start with. You can't quite start with it, but here we are now, finally. And that is concerning the doctrine of election or predestination. Again, election can be defined as the act of God before the foundation of the world, whereby he chooses some people for salvation. Some people are chosen, and therefore, obviously, some are left unchosen, however that works. All those chosen by God were then given to the Son as his inheritance, and the Son, in turn, gave them eternal life. They are, they are the saved. The Bible refers to them as the elect, the chosen ones, those predestined. And as we found last week, these are all just biblical terms. You, you find, open your Bible, you'll find the words and the terms election, the elect, the predestination used, you know, God choosing just all over the place. It's the verbiage of Scripture and that God does the choosing. Some people, and I'm sure you know some, in, in ignorance, they just reject the, the basic fact of election. It's, a, it's a, a, almost like a curse word to them. They... they until they study the scriptures like we did last time, you, you find that no, it's actually just the Bible uses this word quite often and uses terms like predestination and God's chosen ones, holy and set apart. These are just biblical terms and concepts. And we found that out last week, at, le- at the very least, establishing last week with Lesson 7, the fact of election that God chooses some people. And also, some are perturbed or Curious to find out that both sides of this long-standing debate that we've been studying, Calvinists and Arminians, both sides actually believe in election. That, as we found, also catches some people off guard. They're used to the caricature that, you know, only those Calvinists believe in election, and it's such an evil doctrine, and, and the Arminians don't. But that's actually not true. Both sides uphold the fact of election. Again, terms like election and predestination, they're most often associated with Calvinism, but classical Arminianism does not deny these concepts. They're just biblical concepts. And so classical Arminians affirm that God chooses all, not some, or rather God chooses some, not all, for salvation. So even Arminians will read the scriptures and say, it's, it's clear God chooses some people for salvation and others are therefore not chosen. So that's what we, we found that out last week. We just did a long study of election in Scripture, the fact of election in Scripture. That was Lesson 7. Again, if you missed that or any of these lessons, they're all on the website. 
And it, it is good in a sense that you get caught up if you, if you want to really follow along and, and get invested into this study, as I know some of you do. You've got the binders you're trying to catch each week. I'm trying to put them up each, each week on the website as long as uh, Regis gets them up there. For, for that reason, for your benefit, that you can stay on, on track if you want. I mean, of course, at your own leisure. But that being the case, if this is true, if, if both sides of this debate uphold the fact of election in Scripture, then, then why are we even having this study? Like, where's, where's the disagreement? Is there disagreement? Where do these two sides differ? And we hinted last week that the difference really comes down to how God chooses some for salvation. All evangelical Christians believe, if you believe Scripture, that God chooses some. The real difference between these two is how God makes that choice. How does God decide to save the elect? Was it based on God's own will and purpose? Or was it based on something he foresaw in man? Calvinists believe that God made his choice based on his own free will. God chose according to his purposes, the hidden yet perfect counsel of his will. God chose people based on nothing in them. There was nothing special about them or different about them. It was purely by his sovereign grace that he chose them. They met no conditions. It was simply up to God's truly free choice. And so this is referred to as unconditional election. There were no conditions on it. God just chose according to his hidden will. And so this, this concept, this term, unconditional election, keep in mind that forms the U in that acronym TULIP. If you remember, that, that's been long associated with this, this debate of summarizing one side, the side of Calvinism, the five points of Calvinism, the acronym TULIP, summarizes that. We've already covered the T, which is total depravity. And the U here, which we're just getting into, stands for unconditional election. It's one of the tenets of Calvinism. Now, on the flip side of that, Arminians, they believe that God chose, but they believe that God chose based on not his will, but man's will. That God chose based on man's free will. Keep in mind that fundamental to Arminianism is the notion that man has a truly free will with the power to determine his own fate. Man must have the ability to choose otherwise to be a truly free agent. They believe that God made us humans with this supreme free will. God didn't have to, but he chose to in making us with a supreme free will. He chose to limit the exercise of his own will such that we could have true freedom, that even he could not make that choice for us. We have to choose, and, and he gave us that choice. God will not intervene, overturn, or affect the free will of man. Some would even say he, he cannot. Regarding election, then, God could not have chosen people against their wills. Instead, Arminians teach that God chose people based on their own free choice of God. Now, here's the thing. The Bible clearly teaches that God made this choice. However he did it, he made the choice when? Before the foundation of the world. There's just too many verses that say that. And, and they understand that as well. So therefore, Arminians rely on the foreknowledge of God to account for this choice. They believe that before the moment of creation, right before God actually spoke things into existence, God looked forward in a time to see who would come to believe in him of their own free will. And then God chose those people. 
They became the elect. God elected them. So God's election, he still did the choosing, but you see how God's election or choice, it can be spoken of as conditional. This is not unconditional. God chose people based on a condition. What's the condition? That he foresaw that they would come to believe, that they would have faith in Christ of their own free will. And that's why this is called conditional election. You get the difference? You get the two? And they are quite different. This is a a serious fundamental difference between the two sides. We said total depravity, and there are many Arminians who will accept and believe in total depravity. Good, rightly so. But this is it. This, depending on where you land, you're you're clearly on one side or the other of the debate. There's not really a middle ground here between the two. So this really explains one of the major divides between Calvinism and Arminianism. It comes down to who or what is the deciding factor in our election and thereby salvation. Is it God and his will, or is it man and our will? Who's the the deciding factor? And so, starting tonight, and in the next several lessons, we're going to be exploring what the Bible teaches about this topic, about election. Specifically now, we've already covered the the basic fact of election. We're going to spend the rest of our time, for, for several weeks actually, covering the mechanics, the how. How did God elect? How did he make his choice? Was it based on our will, this concept of foreknowledge, foreseen faith, or is it based on God's will, apart from us, just his own purposes? We're going to find out. Now, we start tonight by looking at the Arminian side, and our goal is simply to understand it better. That's tonight, just to just make sure we're not building a straw man argument. We want to hear them from their own terms, their own resources, how they define this, how they support it. That's what we're going to do tonight. Spend our time exploring what Arminianism teaches about this thing called conditional election. Trying to better understand what they believe, why they believe it. We're also going to make note tonight of how this belief came to be. Like where did it, where did it come from? Historically, that might interest you as well. And uh, well, it may not be a surprise to most of you, we, we do not believe that. And so next week, if you care to, you can come back and hear conditional election refuted, rejected, why we don't believe it, why we find it unconvincing and not taught in scripture. That's next week. And then the weeks thereafter, we'll get to the other side of the debate, which is unconditional election, which we do believe here at this church, why we believe it, what it says, where it's found in scripture, and and, and so forth. You know, the, the whole other side of the debate will get there. So that's a little roadmap. Tonight is simply just trying to understand better this their, their side, conditional election, and, and why they believe it, how they support it, which is valuable to know. So that's what we're going to do. You have a little handout. Uh, there's not a lot of notes here. Uh, you can take your own, of course. But we'll start with an Arminian understanding of conditional election. I just gave you a few excerpts we'll, we'll look at later, just so you don't, I mean, you, you can't really write all that down. And, uh, of course, you're free to take all your own notes. But we're going to start with Arminian understanding of con- conditional election. Election, it's a multifaceted doctrine, like we learned back in Lesson 7. You've got corporate election and individual election. You have election unto service and election unto salvation. If that's foreign to you, we'll just get last week. Now, Armenians will affirm certain aspects of God's election as unconditional. Some, some parts, they'll say, yeah, okay, that part's unconditional, that part's unconditional. 
as opposed to conditional. So let's just talk about those real quick. They believe that Jesus, as the way of salvation, was unconditionally chosen. In other words, God, before time, one thing he did unconditionally choose was Christ to be the way of salvation, the means of salvation, and the existence of God's people corporately. In other words, God unconditionally decreed that all who believe will be saved. When it comes to to salvation, they do not believe that God unconditionally chose individuals, but he just chose a group, and he chose Christ to be the Savior, and he said unconditionally, whoever believes will be saved. That's, That's the limit of their unconditional election. And so let's just actually jump in. In your handout, you see this remonstrance, Article 1. If that doesn't ring a bell, you know, back in the very first lessons here on Wednesday nights, gave you like the history of this debate. And you might remember that the five points of Calvinism didn't even originate with Calvin. After Calvin died and this guy Arminius came up challenging his beliefs and Arminius himself died, his followers organized his beliefs, Arminius's beliefs, into five points. They presented it as a remonstrance, like a protest against the Dutch government. And anyway, it's the first kind of official document of Arminian belief. And here's the, their, their first point that they presented, which captures their belief on election. So let's read it, follow along with me, and you'll see where I'm going with this. It's very careful wording, so pay attention. It's it's the first article. Give me a little historical perspective. They first declare that God. So we're talking about God here. God, by an eternal, unchangeable purpose in Jesus Christ, his son, before the foundation of the world. So this happened before the foundation of the world. God, before the foundation of the world, hath determined... So we're talking about something God has determined before the foundation of the world. This is, this is election. So what, what did God determine? Well, out of the fallen, sinful race of men to save in Christ, for Christ's sake, and through Christ, those who, through the grace of the Holy Ghost, shall believe on this, his son Jesus, and persevere in the faith. So, again, what, what did God choose? They're making a statement about God. God has determined something before the foundation of the world. That, that's predestination. What did God determine? He determined basically to save people in Christ. Who? Well, those who believe in Jesus and who persevere. That's it. That's what God unconditionally determined. He's like, I, before created, God was like, I'm going to, people will fall, people will be sinners, but I will save those who believe in Jesus. That, that's what, that, was, that was God's unconditional determination. And on the other hand, he says, or they say, to leave the incorrigible and unbelieving in sin and under wrath, and to condemn them as alienate from Christ, according to the word of God, uh, word of the gospel of John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him, according to other passages of the scripture also. So what you see in their idea of conditional election uh, or, or election in general, the only thing that they, they say God unconditionally determined just of his own will was he's going to save people, basically. He's going to save those who believe in, in Christ. That's it. When it comes to individual election and to salvation, they believe God chose that as well, but this part is conditional. Now, you have to address, though, individual election. There are liberal Armenians today 
and and they see the the problems with conditional election that we'll look at next week. And so they've decided they've gone the route they actually reject individual election altogether. They believe God never actually chose, you know, you you and you and not you you and you. They believe every instance of election in the Bible was corporate. God merely chose Israel and he chose the church. That's it. It's up to you to place yourself in those groups. But we even saw last week that that's just not the case. There are plenty of instances of, of individual election and the concept of individual election in Scripture. And so you have to account for individual election. So all that goes to say, let's now just talk about and see how classical Arminianism accounts and explains individual election. Again, they believe it. They believe God chose a group of individuals, individual people, how? Let, let's talk about now. They, they do not believe God arbitrarily chose. Rather, God chose based on some condition met in these people. And what was the condition? We actually saw it back in the, the article one. It's the condition of the presence of repentance and faith. And you can also add the condition of perseverance. A person has to believe and they have to believe to the end because you might also know Armenians believe you can lose your salvation. So God had to, to see the presence of someone who has repentance, faith, and then perseverance that they believe until they die. Now, as we said before, the Bible makes very clear the timing of this election as before the foundation of the world. And so, again, Arminians reason that God must have used his foreknowledge to foresee who would meet these conditions, who would freely exhibit repentance, faith, perseverance. And then all those individuals who met that condition, and this is before creation, but in God's mind, it was as good as done. His foreknowledge is perfect. We all believe that. All those individuals who met these conditions, they were then elected and included in the people of God. So in effect, God chose those who chose him first. The deciding factor was man's own will and choice. Now, as we said a long time ago, this represents a synergistic view of salvation. And I only throw these terms out just to broaden your horizons a little bit. It's good to know them here and there. But synergism, remember, referring to the, the idea of God and man cooperating together in man's salvation, as opposed to monergism, where it's God's work alone. But they believe that man contributes something to his salvation, and that man's will is the deciding factor to salvation and election. Now, naturally, our Arminians believe that faith and repentance precede regeneration. They believe that God elects some people because they believe in Jesus, as opposed to Calvinists who believe that God elects some people so that they will believe in Jesus. I'll say that again because that's, that's a one-liner that perfectly captures the difference in election here. Armenians believe that God elects some people because they believe in Jesus, while Calvinists believe that God elects some people so that they will believe in Jesus. God comes first versus man coming first. That's the, the fundamental difference here. Also, keep in mind, the existence of man's completely free will underlies the Armenian belief in conditional election. That man is a truly free being is one of their chief presuppositions. They, they will say that their view of conditional election does not undermine or diminish the sovereignty of God and the supremacy of God. 
Because again, God willingly gave us creatures such a total free will. It would only diminish God's glory if he, if he had no choice, if, he, if, he, if his hands were tied. But the fact that he willingly tied his own hands, so to speak, it means it's all part of his plans and they still give God all the glory uh, for whatever that's worth. Okay, so that's a little bit more information on, on what they actually believe. It, is it at least making sense? Are you getting it? At least what they believe? Now we're going to turn to our Armenian support for conditional election. That's what they believe. Why do they believe this? Fair to ask of anything. Anything we believe at the church? I, I hope you ask, why do we believe this? Because we want our, all of our beliefs grounded in, in Scripture. So we're going to ask for conditional election, why do they believe this? And we'll also see in this section where it came from. Like, where, where did this belief come from? Well, the Armenian case for conditional election is largely based on human reason plus the implicit teaching of Scripture. And so far, we've actually already seen several instances where Arminianism relies more on, on human reasoning and the implicit teaching of Scripture rather than the clear, explicit statements of the Bible. For example, there are no Bible verses that teach that humans have this libertarian, completely free will. Their concept of total supreme free will, that's philosophical, not biblical. And to the contrary, we've already done several studies found that we have a will, and, and it's free uh, so far as it's able to be free, but Scripture explicitly teaches our, our wills, they're actually limited. And so it's better to find them not as free, but bound. Explicit teachings that our wills are bound to sin and to Satan. Uh, that was all previous studies. If that's new to you, again, just go get those and I'll clear it right up. Scripture is explicit on that. The same thing goes for their concept of prevenient grace, which we've mentioned a few times. There are no Bible verses on it. You won't find a, a single verse teaching that concept. It's another teaching created by a, a theological necessity to fit their system. And they attach a few verses that give implicit support, but there's no explicit teaching on this pillar of theirs, which is prevenient grace, which we'll get to still in the future. Well, get, you're going to find the same thing when it comes to conditional election, which is another pillar. But look, there are no Bible verses that explicitly teach conditional election as taught by Arminians. There's nothing. You will not find a single verse depicting God foreseeing the faith of people. That's nowhere. There's never any depiction or description of God foreseeing the faith of who will believe. That, that, is, that was simply just made up. The whole concept of foreseeing faith is 100% absent from Scripture. You won't find any teaching at all which says that God made his choice based on man's free choice. That's, that's part of their reasoning and their implication, but you won't find a verse on that or that even comes close to that. In fact, what we'll find later when we get to unconditional election, there are tons of clear and explicit verses teaching that God made his choice based on his own free will. Like, there, there are plenty of verses that explicitly say, how did God choose? Based on his own free will, according to his own plan, his own purposes. In fact, stick around, we'll see later verses that even teach that it had nothing to do with us and our will, that explicitly teach we were not in that equation. So for now, though, 
If that's the case, how do Arminians support and uphold their belief in conditional election? Well, like I said, it comes down to human reason plus a few Bible verses which give implicit support. We'll look at those in a second. But here I want to mention that little historical section that I would, said I'd tell you about. Where did, where did Arminianism in general even come from? This whole system, this whole school of thought. But you have to realize, this will take you back to the first two lessons, that Arminianism came and developed throughout church history as a reaction to Calvinistic theology. It didn't come in a vacuum. It came as a reaction to Calvin and his teachings and their followers and so forth. And that's actually true long before Calvin and Arminius even existed. These beliefs, like conditional election, didn't form because men were just studying the Bible and they were synthesizing what the Bible teaches, a bunch of verses on conditional election, that there are no verses on conditional election explicitly. And to the contrary, it was men like Augustine and Calvin. They were the ones studying the scriptures and just compiling and synthesizing a ton of verses that teach unconditional election and predestination. But as you know, these are very diminishing doctrines to man, that is. They make us look pretty small. The truths of God unconditionally choosing to save some and not others, that doesn't sit well with many people. They react to it viscerally. And so throughout church history, many people, they've, they've responded, they've reacted to the teachings of, of these people like Augustine, like Calvin. And, and they, can't, they can't stomach it. It's just for, for, for various reasons, they just can't live with it. And this gives rise to the need for alternate teachings. That's where Arminianism came from. Now, historically, what were some of the main problems or objections that people had with unconditional election, with, with God's predestination? Just, this is just, just for a background. I'm going to give you seven, though. Seven uh, of these historical problems people had with what the Bible says about election that led them to react against it and think, we've got to find another, another solution here. Number one, unconditional election is not fair. It's just not fair. It makes God a moral monster, an unloving brute, who arbitrarily saves some and not others. That's just not fair. How can God just, just say, you're saved, you're not? That's not fair. Arminius himself reasoned that God could not be fair if he condemned someone who had no possibility of being saved simply because they're not among the elect. So it's not fair. Number two, unconditional election is not just. God would not be just to sentence people to hell who had no real chance of being saved because they were not among the elect. So these are your top two. It's not fair. It's not just. Number three, unconditional election leads to fatalism. It leads to fatalism. This objection is based on the perceived consequences of unconditional election. They think, you know, if it's true, it's going to lead to fatalism. That, that's a belief where like, nothing matters. Right? Nothing really matters. Your choices don't matter because God has already determined everything apart from our wills. So it doesn't matter. It's fatalism. Number four, unconditional election leads to licentiousness. And that just means immorality, loose living, right? It leads to, to immoral living. This is another objection based on the perceived consequences of unconditional election. And the reason, like, if that's true, it would lead to unholy living because look if you're among the elect 
you're saved anyway. So what you do doesn't matter. You can sin all you want. You're still going to heaven because you're, you're among the elect. And so if unconditional election is true, people have no motive for holy living because you're simply part of this group, the elect. You're going to heaven anyway. You might as well do whatever you want. And it's going to lead to licentiousness. Number five, unconditional election makes evangelism irrelevant. Makes evangelism irrelevant. This is another perceived consequence. And the reason, if it's true, then like, it's pointless to preach the gospel, to evangelize. Because look, God, God's going to save his elect no matter what. He's already determined it. He, he knows all their names, that they're going to get saved no matter what. So why, why bother preaching? Why bother trying to take the gospel to the ends of the earth? God, God will take care of it. Number six, unconditional election violates man's free will. Or you talk about this, violates man's free will. We've already discussed if this is true, it really violates, overturns man's free will. God's will is, is affecting man's free will, meaning we, we don't really have that type of free will. They would say man has no real choice in his salvation, and that just makes us robots. It's like determinism. Where we're just really robots. We have no real will. And lastly, unconditional, number seven, unconditional election violates God's desire for all to be saved. If that's true, it violates God's desire for all to be saved. In some ways, the Arminian belief in conditional election is tied to their belief in an unlimited atonement. Haven't talked about it. We'll get there later. But they believe that Jesus died for all people. And at the very least, they believe that, that God loves all people and he desires all to be saved, but not all are saved. So you have to account for that. God desires all to be saved. Not all people are saved. Why not? And the reason, since God desires all people to be saved, well, it must be man's fault, not God's. It must be a deficiency in man's will, not God's will. Because if it were really up to God's will, everybody would be saved. Because he desires all to be saved. So again, they, they reject it because it violates God's desire for all to be saved. So historically, these have been... Really, the main objections people have had, that the reactions to what, what scriptures seem to teach. You have men like Augustine, Calvin, and others that they go through, they study, they, they put it together, and they synthesize. Here's, here's all the verses on election and, and predestination. And it, it leads you to these conclusions. And Paul himself actually addressed some of these objections. They, they've been going on since Paul was writing. We'll see that later in Romans 9 where he addresses, it's not fair, it's not just. He responds to that. But more than a few people throughout church history, they, they have not, they don't, they don't care. They, they don't accept their responses. They still can't stomach it for, for various reasons. They just can't accept unconditional election and, and all the responses to the objections. They simply cannot stomach such a doctrine that makes God ultimately responsible for sending so many people to hell. They react viscerally against such a thought, and so they think we have to find a more tolerable alternative. And this is where Pelagianism, semi-Pelagianism, and Arminianism came from. And those terms, again, go back to those first couple lessons uh, of the history of this whole debate. But just think, you know, recently, Arminianism, which they're still around today. These were all reactions to the perceived harshness, unfairness, and injustice of unconditional election and predestination. They acknowledge 
the Bible says a lot about election and predestination. Yeah. But they say that there has to be another way to interpret all these verses. And so the system of Arminianism is the fruit of that effort. We've got to see these verses in another light because we can't, we just can't go down that path. It's going to take us to God being a monster and God's love. We can't go there. But this explains, though, now we're going to bring it back to our lesson today. This explains why so much of Arminianism as a system, it's not, it's not backed up by the explicit teachings of Scripture. That's not where this thing came from. It didn't come from some people just sitting and studying the Bible and putting together a theology. Instead, much of the system consists of beliefs that are not mentioned in Scripture, but they're devised by men to fill in the blank spaces and provide a sufficient alternative to unconditional election, which just couldn't be accepted. They all came from, you know, human reasoning of saying we, we, we have to find an alternative and we can kind of make this fit. And so the, these declarations came like conditional election. It must be true. It stands to reason. In their minds, it, it's philosophically much easier to accept an implicit system than the horrors of unconditional election. They would rather read into scripture a little bit here and there than live with the doctrine that God is ultimately responsible for the eternal fates of all people, including damnation. Now, side note, we're going to find out next week, their system doesn't get them off, we can cut them off that hook, that God is still ultimately responsible for all things. That's part of what you get when you're being God. Well, we'll see that next week. Now, we did mention that there are, there are few Bible verses which Armenians use to try and add support to their belief. And when it comes to conditional election, again, mostly they will cite and list a long list of all those verses where people are told to believe. They're commanded to believe. And so they reason, since all people are told to believe, all people must have the ability to believe. God wouldn't tell us to do something we're not able to do. We must have the freedom to believe, which in turn means God could not have made that choice for them. Now, we've already studied how the mere presence of a command to believe does not at all imply that man has the ability or the freedom to believe. We've already seen that's actually not true. Our, our will and ability is not free, but limited, bound to sin and Satan. But still, let's look at how mainline Arminians explain and defend their doctrine of conditional election. Now you can go to your handout again. And this is where I listed some excerpts from, this is the main article, Defining and Defending Conditional Election, on the popular website, evangelicalarminians.org. So this is it. This is supposed to be the cream of the crop, that their best argument. They just put their, their big guns forward. They've got an article. And I encourage you, read it all for yourselves. Do your, don't take my word for any of this. You guys can do all your own study yourself. Uh, I would encourage you to do so. But here are some excerpts from, from them. Let, let's hear from them, right? That's, that's the way we should be going about this. This is one of the first paragraphs early on. And so let's read this first paragraph here. <coughs> They say, they declare, they're trying to ex define and explain conditional election, okay? And they say that God chooses to save those who believe in the gospel, slash Jesus Christ. And then you have a ton of verses, all verses about believing in Jesus. They say this clear and basic biblical truth is tantamount to saying that election unto salvation is conditional on faith. 
Just as salvation is by faith, so election for salvation is by faith. Now, I'm not sure if you, if you caught that. Maybe you need to sit and think a little bit. But if you're like me, you think, wait a second. A does not lead to B here. Where are they making this leap, this connection? You see that phrase? This clear and biblical truth is tantamount to saying. Right? Is tantamount. That's like it's equivalent. They're making quite a leap here. Claiming that, well, because God saves those people who have faith, election must be conditioned on faith. So, but wait, where, where are you making that connection? That, 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 you haven't proven that connection. You can't just say that. You've got to display that. It's, you need to prove it. This is a perfect example of the false cause logical fallacy, which is presuming that a, a, a real relationship between things means that one is the cause of the other. These two things are related. Well, this must be the cause of that. Well, that doesn't stand to reason. You still have to prove that. You have to prove that this is the cause of that. And so look, in Scripture, is it true that there's a real relationship between election and those who come to faith in Christ? Yeah, there's a relationship between the two. But it doesn't stand to reason that faith in Christ is the cause of election. That That's a logical leap that you've got to prove. And they don't prove it. They just assert it. And that's that's a false cause, logical fallacy. You can't just do that. You've not proven anything. They've merely stated it as a false cause with no proof. And you know why that is? Because there is no proof. You're not going to find any, any verse or teaching that builds that connection that God chose people based on their faith. That, that's all they can do. And so look again at the second paragraph on the, on the flip side of your page. They say, moreover... We find various expressions of elect slash saved status to be given by faith, i.e. bestowed by God in response to faith. And so what they're going to do here is they're going to list out all the things God gives us by faith. And they reason, well, he must have given us election by faith too. Because believers are justified by faith, adopted as children of God by faith, heirs of God by faith, given spiritual life by faith, Jumping down, sanctified by faith, given the Holy Spirit by faith, indwelled by Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit by faith, united to Christ by faith. Again, do you notice the logical leap taking place here? They're confusing elect status with the cause of election. Nobody disputes that elect status is identified by faith. Now, how do you identify the elect? Well, we would say, well, all those who have true faith in Jesus that they are among the elect. But how how does that prove that God elected people because of their faith? You cannot simply say, well, God gives us justification by faith and sanctification and so forth. Therefore, he must give us election by faith. That's not proof. That's another example of a false cause, logical fallacy. And and some people, they might find this compelling because you look at this paragraph, you see a lot of verses. You see all these Bible verses. But none of them, not a single one, actually says what they're trying to assert. They just say things we all they just say things we all already believe. You know, justification is by faith. Well, yeah, we believe that, but that, that's not proving at all what you're trying to prove. Sadly, to, to the ignorant, this might be compelling. To the undiscerning, to those who just see a list of verses and say, well, they've got a lot of verses here. But you, go read those verses and find one of them that says. God elects based on foreseen faith. You you won't find any. 
Also, I should point out, so far the paragraphs that we've read, these are among their leading arguments. Uh, and this is, again, this is their, 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 their statement of faith, basically, their statement on conditional election. You'd think they'd start off with their strongest arguments, their strongest reasons, that the main verses that here's why you should believe conditional election. But they don't. That, that's because there aren't any. All you get is, like I said, human reasoning plus the implicit teaching of Scripture. Just to finish it off, final paragraph here. They say, we should be careful not to miss the expression of elect status in these various states of grace. The state of justification means to be in a right relationship with God. Notice, but that implies belonging to him as one of his elect people. And later, spiritual life also implies elect status because it's one of the blessings provided in the covenant. Over and over again, all you get is human reasoning plus implications. You know, this implies that. This is tantamount to that. It stands to reason that that that's just human reason plus indirect, insufficient, implicit Bible verses being attached to it. Hopefully, hopefully something will stick. If we throw enough Bible verses at the wall, it'll make this thing come together and glue this argument together. Uh, but it doesn't work. Now, I will say, to be fair, after scouring pages of Armenian doctrine, I, I found only two primary passages that come anywhere close to teaching what Armenians teach on conditional election. And so let, let's look at them. Uh, the first is Romans chapter 8, 28 through 30. So you can write that down and then you can turn there. Romans chapter 8, verses 28 through 30. Now we'll look at these verses a lot next week, of course, and uh, I, I do not by any means believe they teach conditional election. You'll see that to come. But at the very least, what makes these two verses stand out, these are the two main verses which, which actually associate the concept of God's foreknowledge with election, which we don't doubt or dispute. We will talk about that a whole bunch next week. You just hold on. But for now, let's just, let's just read them. Romans 8. 28 through 30. It says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For, here it is, those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. So here you have a passage which mentions predestination. This is God calling, God choosing people, God predestining people. And all those people God predestines, they're later justified and sanctified and glorified. They're saved. So this is a, a strong verse in God's predestination. But they will point out here in this verse that God's foreknowledge seems to precede his predestination. Right? Verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. And that's true. Now, you will notice there's no mention of foreseen faith here. It just says those whom he foreknew, that the people he foreknew, no mention of faith. But this verse does teach that God's foreknowledge came before predestination. What does that mean? Come back next week. 
Another verse, the second verse that builds this connection. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. So you can write that down as well and turn there. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. First Peter chapter one, verses one and two. Which reads, First Peter one, one through two. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen. Verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. So here is another verse. It's actually very similar to Romans 8. There's a passage mentioning the elect. Verse 1, the word for chosen is literally the, the same word for elect in the Greek. So he's talking to Christians who are chosen, who are elect. But verse 2 mentions that they're elected, they're chosen, how? According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. And so they will again point out, here's another verse where God's foreknowledge was involved in his decision to choose people. And that's true. That's very true. Again, you'll, you'll find no mention of foreknown faith, that God foresaw their faith. That's not in this verse. But at the same time, the elect are foreknown. Now, I did think about trying to squeeze in here, you know, the response and, and, and what, what do we make of these verses? How, how does the foreknowledge of God come into the equation of his election? And what are the problems of conditional election? But it's, it's clearly another, another whole lesson. So, like I said, you want to learn more about these verses, about conditional election, why, at least I'm not convinced... And also, how, how foreign knowledge fits into uh, election in general. Uh, we'll come back next week, like I said. At the very least, for today, I hope you're, you're better acquainted with what they believe, what they teach about election. We don't want to make a, a fallacy of our own, which is called a straw man argument, where you, you claim they're like this and they say this when they're really different. It's easier to knock them down. Let them speak for themselves. And so, that was our only goal for tonight. This, this, is, this is the... You could say part of, part of the meat of this study here on, on the doctrines of grace, this is a huge difference in election, conditional, unconditional. So it's worth our time just sit a little while, spend a week getting to know what they believe, what they teach, how they support it, and we'll come back next time and uh, we, will, we will see how it falls short in so many ways. We'll understand God's foreknowledge as related to election. And how it does not mean at all what they claim it means, that he foresaw the faith of those who would believe and chose them after he saw that they would choose him. That uh, continues to be completely absent from Scripture. So make sure you come back next time for that. Um, I guess that's it. Amen. My, my notes ran out. <laughs> I thought there was something more in my mind, and I just, I'm looking at a blank page. So I will pray for us. And uh, we'll see you next time. Let's pray. Our great God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
We're uh, always grateful for time in your word. Not much of a, a Bible site tonight per se, but still useful time to understand what, what others have said about your word, have come to understand your word. We know that the meaning of Scripture is Scripture. Your, your word has to be rightly divided and interpreted. You guide us in that through your spirit. But, but men, men differ. We are still fallen sinners where pride and sin and presuppositions get in the way and, and cloud the mind. And so we, we come with humility, Lord, asking you to help us cut it straight, to understand, to, to get it right. If there's a veil over our eyes, Lord, remove it. We, we don't want to be fooled. Help us to simply submit to what your word says and, and convict us in that regard. And for tonight, we, we still have a little reminder of your great work. For example, in Romans 8, of how you, you did call us and choose us according to your purpose. And you did foreknow us. What that means, we'll see later. But uh, we know that we are yours. We thank you for the gift of faith and justification and sanctification and glorification, which, which are as good as ours presently. You are the God of salvation. And at the very least, we can come together with, with our Armenian brethren and, and thanking you that you're God who saves and that you, you, you save those who are unworthy. None of us are worthy. And so we remember what you've done for us on the cross. We still want to get it straight. And, and the more we know you and, and know how you work, Lord, how you saved us, well, the, the greater we can praise you. And so keep building up our understanding. Until next week, guide us and, and guard us. And may we serve you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.